Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Dave Hendon. Welcome to the latest edition of the Snooker Scene podcast. This week, a player who is perhaps a little misunderstood. It's Mark Allen from Northern Ireland. He's been a pro since 2005, and this is his chance to tell us, in his own words, about his life and career in snooker. Mark, how did you get into snooker? What was your introduction? Uh, probably just the boring, usual way. Uh, my dad used to play, and he used to take me and my brother every Sunday down to the local social mm. club. Uh, once a week really started from there and then after I got a bit more interest in it I couldn't go to the club that my dad took me to anything but Sunday mm. so he sent me to the local snooker club then and uh, used to go down maybe two or three days a week always after a football match on a Saturday uh, and then just grew from there there was a lot of ones in the club that I played at that were doing really well in the amateur scene and I think four of the top six in the country at the time were all from that club so quite fortunate at the time they had good practice partners and they all helped me along and also you put from part of the world Northern Ireland they've got these two legends Alex Siggins Dennis Taylor both world champions snooker really popular in that part of the world when you were growing up yeah yeah it was I think I remember talking to a few of the guys in the club recently uh, like Andrum's a very small town mm. like population of about 50 or 60,000 uh, I think at one stage there was about 50 or 60 snooker tables in right like three or four different clubs yeah. and you used to have to queue for tables yeah. that's how popular it was mm. unfortunately now we're down to I think maybe ten right. uh, it is getting back a little bit mm. uh, I know from personal experience in the club I play at it died off a little bit but it definitely seems to be a bit of, bit of a resurgence but mm. what Alex and Dennis done for Northern Ireland Snooker as a whole no second to none no, and we, we have to thank them for that myself Joe Swale and all the ones that are coming through uh, no, definitely the end, I think. Mm. But do you think you were good right away? Were you naturally talented or did you improve the sort of more competitions you played? Or was it a bit of both, maybe? Maybe a bit of both. Like at the start, I was useless, that's <laughs> the way everyone is. Yeah. But I think I picked it up pretty quick. You know, I was able to make 30s and 40s pretty quickly. Mm. Maybe my first century after playing for maybe just under a year. Mm. Uh, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah and then just played in every tournament I possibly could. You know, I had to put the football sort of in the back burner. Mm. And they always used to clash with the junior tournaments on a Saturday mm. morning. So, 
Yeah, I used to go to all the snooker events on Saturday. It took me quite a while to win my first match. You know, I lost agonisingly on the black many times. Right. And then eventually I won a match and won a couple of matches. Then I won my first tournament. It was in Northern Ireland under-14s. Mm. And then just went from there, really. I won you know, pretty much everything at junior level and senior level back home. And Yeah, give me... It gave me good confidence getting into the pro scene. Mm. No, it's all right. Some people, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but some people have done nothing in, in the amateur scene and get free Q school. Mm. They're maybe not ready. Mm. Whereas I felt like I was ready straight away because I'd won the world amateurs, won the European championships, won the European under 19s, and won everything in Northern Ireland. Mm. So I felt like I was coming in on the back of a lot of good wins. So I was very, very confident starting out. Yeah, I think people may not know, know this. I mean, you won literally every. As you say, in every age division, you won the Northern Ireland title. Like you say, you won the European Juniors, European Championship, World Amateur. So you've done everything as an amateur, yeah. haven't you? Maybe that's why you were so confident when you turned pro. Yeah, it was disappointing for me that I turned pro without winning the World Under 21s because mm. I don't think anyone's ever won all four. Mm. Uh, I lost in the semis to Louis Song, who was on right, the tour yeah. for many years. and The other semi-final that year was Ding against Robertson. Right, yeah. uh, so <laughs> the, it was a strong feeling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, disappointing not to win that, but it gave me so much confidence to get in. Mm. To the pro game and obviously I was very fortunate getting an invite to yeah. the Northern Ireland Trophy you know, my very first tournament yeah. not many people get their first mm. ever pro match live on TV in their mm. hometown How do you feel uh, about that then? Because you're going and you're playing Steve Davis you know a legend on telly in, like you say in your home country I'll be honest and say that if I'm looking back on it now I was very very fortunate and mm. it was an unbelievable experience but at the time I didn't think about it right. I just it was just another match for me right. and Yes, it was one that I was looking forward to, and playing Davis, obviously, legend of the game. But it was just another match for me that I was trying to win. And I know it sounds silly saying that, coming into the game was at a complete nobody. Mm. And my first match is against the Nugget. No, mm. Not many people are getting into it like that, but I think because I'd won so much as a youngster, that I was just wanting to win. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I beat him, I beat Higgins, and yeah. even playing Hendry in the quarter-final, like, I wanted to win. Mm. And obviously looking back on it now it was probably naive to think that yeah, I could but yeah. it was just the confidence I had at the time yeah. but to beat okay so you beat Davis at that time he was a little bit on the slide but John Higgins wasn't I mean he was very yeah. much a top player so that win I mean did you even think about what it meant then or was it like you say you're just, you're just doing what you've always done which is playing matches just playing matches yeah. uh, I was riding the crest of a wave though obviously winning lots of matches as an amateur but to sort of do it on the big stage like that in front of my home crowd as well whenever I was getting fantastic support considering I was a complete nobody. Mm. Uh, to be able to do it on that big stage was good for me, mm. and it was an experience in itself. Playing Henry, he was the person I looked up to the mm. most coming through, and uh, just to play him my first event, even though I got absolutely pumped. Yeah. Uh, I remember actually watching him, and he had a presence around the table mm. and an aura. And I remember playing him later that year in the UK Championships, and I had to not look at him because yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. felt like I was yeah. a bit starstruck because yeah. I was just coming in. But they're all part part and parcel of the learning mm. curve and. Very, very fortunate at the time that mm. me and Joe Sweel get invited to that tournament because I think that set me on the right path straight mm. away. But then, of course, after that, you, you go back to what is normal for a new pro, the qualifiers, which is a very different setup, no real crowd. Yeah. You're not playing the legends, you're playing the people around you in the rankings. But how did you sort of adjust to that? Again, it didn't bother me mm. because I was used to playing amateur tournaments with no one watching. Yeah. It was an out-of-body experience playing the Northern Ireland Trophy because there was lots of people watching. Mm. But in general, I was used to playing in front of nobody. Uh, well, it sounds like I'm really, really lucky here, but <laughs> but my first uh, qualifier, I played a guy called James Tatton, mm. and uh, he turned up late after the interval and got up the frame, and I won 5 0 there. Right. So, <laughs> no, not a lot of people get their first match mm. handed to them like that mm. either. But obviously, it was 4 0 up, but probably would have been done on one, but mm. we'll never know that. But yeah, it was just those little things went mm. for me. It was strange because at the time, there was only six or seven tournaments. Yeah. 
the big gaps even. I think there was a four or five week gap from that qualifier to the main event. And in that time, we found out that Rianne was pregnant. Right. And my head was completely gone at the yeah. time because it was just not something we planned for and yeah. still very young. And I was very, very lucky that there was a five week gap because my head just wasn't in the right place. Mm. And I remember my first match after that was a qualifier against Scott McKenzie. And I was eight all. It was for the UK. Mm. Uh, eight all, first and nine. And I managed to make an 84 in the last frame. And I only remember it because it was, I think it was 12 reds, 12 pinks. Right. And uh, I still say to this day, if I'd lost that match, I could possibly have dropped off to her because mm. I was in such a bad place mentally because mm. we just weren't expecting to have a little one and mm. weren't ready for it. And once I got that match under a belt, it sort of got my head back in the game and mm. ended up going on to qualify for the UK. Mm. I beat David Gray at the UK Championships and lost in the Nugget then, mm. 9 7, the year he got to the yeah. final against yeah. Ding. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very fortunate there was that big gap because mm. it had it been like it is now, mm. and there's a five week spell of tournament, tournament, tournament. Probably could have went bad for me. Yeah, I think after that, though, you sort of you did settle in pretty well, didn't you? And you got to the Crucible, 2007. It's a big deal for it. It's like a rite yeah. of passage for a snooker player to play there. And you've gone out and beaten Ken Doherty in the first round. Yeah, I keep saying <laughs> it, but it was just another match. Yeah. You know, I'd but why, why though? Because like that is a big deal to, to walk down the steps. Don't get me wrong. And, like coming yeah. out of the Crucible, I was buzzing, like yeah. hair and back of my neck, yeah. standing up, and you know it took me a while to settle. Even though I won the first four frames. Mm. I still felt edgy, yeah. and then when it got close, I'm, I'm quite happy that it went close because if I'd have won, I'm not saying this would ever happen, but if I'd have won 10 0, it wouldn't have been the same because yeah. you don't get that punch back and yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you don't know how you'd handle it. Whereas yeah. Doherty threw everything at me and I managed yeah. to still beat him. Uh, but at the time, it was just another game. Mm. I'd won so many matches, I was you're going there not expecting to win the tournament, you know, you and by this stage, I'm sort of experienced enough to know that I'm not mm. going to be one of the favourites for doing the mm. tournament so I'm going there to try and enjoy it and I did mm. you know, even though I lost in the second round to Matthew Stevens, I enjoyed every minute but I probably enjoyed the Stevens match more mm. than I did the Doherty match mm. but you had to play at the Crucible every year special not mm. just the first year every year special I still going there now you know, it's, I've been there 10 or 11 years in a row mm. No, going there every year special and something that you not quite get used to mm. I, guess, I think it was the year later when you lost to Hendry in the first round yeah and that was the other side of the coin, yeah. a real hard defeat to take. Yeah, that's still probably one of my hardest ever defeats. 9-7 mm. up, and I remember I missed a pink in the middle. It's funny how you remember things, but looking back on it now, I probably should have just made sure of the pink mm. and played safe on the last red, because it would have been 35 up with 35 on. Uh, and I tried to force the pink to get on, close to the red, and of course Henry does what he does, yeah. clears up, does a one visit in the decider. Uh, but I think it was more heartbreaking at the time because... It would have been great to be Henry at the Crucible, obviously he's the Crucible King, but I needed to win that match again in 16. Mm. As it turned out, you know, a few results went my way and mm. I managed to finish number 16 anyway, mm. but at the time I didn't know that and I was mm. devastated. And it's, yeah, it's probably one of the hardest defeats I've ever had, but it's all experience. Mm. There's going to be many, many hard defeats in this game mm. and they hurt a lot more probably than the wins mm. that you get. Uh, but they, you learn so much more from them. Yeah, and you were still young. I mean, you're like 22, I think, at the time. You don't, and when you're 22, you don't know how young that is, do you? But I, I'm just wondering, like, you know, you've had, like, you played snooker up to that point for many years already. What were your sort of ambitions? Did you go into it thinking, right, I want to be, you know, world champion, I want to do this, that, and the other? Or was it just, okay, I'm just playing snooker like I always have done? Probably a bit of both. Mm. I'm still more in the mindset of I'm just playing snooker, but because I'd won so many matches and on the verge of the 16 after towards the end of my third season mm. I was 
I was so confident. You know, I, although I hadn't been to sort of many f- later stages, I think a couple of semis mm. or something maybe at that stage, but I was just like, winning so many matches. Uh, but it was under the old structure, the tier yeah. system, where you were playing people of a similar rank in early doors. And yeah. I think that helped me so much along the way mm. because as much as I backed my ability, if I'm thrown in a deep end straight away first round like it is now, mm. and I'm constantly playing top player, top player, top player, mm. the chances are you're not going to win many of those games and you'll drop off tour. So, mm. yeah, fortunate that I've come through the tiered system. I think mm. it was a far better structure. Uh, but I was just so confident I won so many matches. Yeah, yeah. Then t- 2009 at the Cruise, you got to the semis. Um, what was that like, being suddenly in the one-table setup? Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, that's the best experience I've ever had at the Crucible. Mm. I've had some one-off matches where I've played really good snooker and won easy, but as a whole that whole tournament I flew through the whole tournament and I beat Ronnie in round two I beat Ryan Day who was flying he was the top I think he was number six in the world at the yeah. time uh, and I'm playing Higgins in the semis and the one table setup is completely different mm. to anything you'll ever experience you go from being claustrophobic mm. and sitting right next to your opponent mm-hmm. near being able to touch the table when you're in your seat to feeling like you've all the room in the world and mm. uh, the second session in particular Higgins played flawless and I didn't feel like I'd done that much wrong and he beat me 7-1 mm. I didn't feel involved in the game at all and mm. because you're sitting so far away yeah. it adds to that that yeah. you don't feel involved <laughs> yeah. but proud of myself from 13-3 down I got back in the match mm. I had Higgins on the ropes a little bit and I just a bit of an experience I got a bit excited twice mm. in the last session I missed two easy balls that I shouldn't have missed mm. but other than that I, like, I was so happy with the way I played from 13-3 down Honestly, could have made it 15 all from 13 3 down, and not many people ever do that. But disappointing now that I haven't got back to that one table setup. Uh, I think it was maybe the next year. I lost 13 12 at Dot in the quarters, mm. and that was one where I felt like I could win the tournament. That was the first time I'd really, even though I got to the semis against Higgins, that year against Dot was the first time I actually thought I could win this. Mm. I was 12 10 up, missed one shot into the middle pocket, and never seen another ball. He made three one visits. Mm. Uh, but that is the standard you have to play at the Crucible I understand that but I felt like that year was possibly my year and I let one go there Mm. so you were sort of you become a top player very much and you were sort of knocking on the door for titles and it wasn't quite happening was it you got to the UK final against Trump and you made a great comeback there as well which didn't quite get get over the line Uh, was that sort of frustrating because at that time everyone was sort of talking about you as a tournament winner it wasn't quite happening at that point for you was it yeah, it was frustrating, but look, I, I don't really care about what people say. Mm. You know, I, I think at that time I'd lost eight semi-finals mm. in a row without ever reaching a final. Mm. So it was like a monkey off my back beating Ricky Walden there. Yeah. Even though I lost in the final against Trump, I lost the, the better player on the day. I had no qualms about that. I played right and well, and Trump just played that little bit better. I always felt that a tournament win was not far mm. away. Uh, it didn't matter to me what people kept saying in the press about semi-final this, mm. semi-final that. It didn't matter to me that because I knew... I had the talent, I had the belief in myself that I was going to win. Mm. So it was just a matter of time to keep doing what you're doing on the practice table and hopefully it'll come. And yeah. I did. Well, it came, it came um, at the World Open 2012 in, in Haikou in China. I think it's fair to say you didn't necessarily enjoy the week off the table. That, that's, we know yeah. that, you didn't enjoy it. But it didn't seem to affect you on the table. No, I think when you're out there, you just play, don't you? Mm. And look, it was still to this day, it's one of the worst places I've ever been. <laughs> the, the facilities were dreadful. But... I think I've learned to deal with that a bit better than what I did then. Mm. Uh, yeah, when you get out there to play, you're playing on the same 12 by 6 you're not thinking about the mm. dead cats that are yeah. in the roof and all that there sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know what happened that week. I won, I won a couple of deciding frames against Trump and against Selby, I think the last 16 in the semi-final. 
and like, they're the matches that you need to be on the right side of. I know they easily could have lost those matches, but I remember fin- I finished my first four matches in that tournament with a century in the last frame, mm. and two of them were in the deciding frame, so I knew my game was in good shape. Didn't expect to win the final the way I did. Mm. Uh, I couldn't have played really any better and beat Stephen Lee 10-1, so it was a good way to win the first, but in a way, it's a bit disappointing as well because you want your first to be dramatic, you want mm. your first to be exciting, Whereas I played that well, it wasn't ever mm. a contest, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful mm. way towards Stephen Lee. I just had a day where I didn't miss a ball really. Mm. Uh, but you want your first to be like sort of a ten nine on the black sure. to show that you've got a bit of grit, and yeah. a bit of bottle. But like, I'll take them when they come. Yeah, yeah. I think also that week it was a little sort of window into the sort of isolation that players can feel when they're away from home. Um, and you've spoken about sort of mental health issues as well and, and just sort of loneliness because it's a very lonely sport, isn't it, Snooker? It is, and it's something I still struggle with mm. to this day. Like, I hate being away from home. I hate being overseas. But it is part and parcel of what we do. Uh, I've learned to deal with it a bit better, but it's something I still really, really don't enjoy. I'd nothing rather than be at home and see my wife and my, my little girl and know just the, the normal things you do as a family. And That's the hardest part. You know, the, the the rewards are great if you're doing really well in the game. But what I would question is, if you're not sort of one of the top 16, is it worth that sacrifice? Mm. And I know that to make a sport, there's going to be lots of ones that don't make the top 16. There's the ones that struggle to stay on tour, sort of ones that make up the numbers. But yeah, is it really worth the sacrifice to mm. miss all that whenever you're not making any money? Mm. How sort of low did you feel? I mean, were you you were depressed, right? Yeah, very. Mm. I've, sp- I've spoke openly about mm. it, like in... Uh, something I've no problem talking with at all now because I feel like I'm in a much better place but yeah it was it was hard there was lots of times where I felt like I just didn't want to be there anymore nothing I never ever tried to take my own life or anything like that no. but I did feel that though at times and I used to just I lived on my own and no, I bought a house and stayed on my own and I just used to stay in the house and it sounds really bad like listen to just sad music just <laughs> sit in my bedroom and not move and like that's what I'd done for days I think it's a, it's a vicious circle because the more you do that the worse you feel mm. but it just took a few good friends and family in order to get me out of that you know, sort of started talking a little bit more I went and seen a psychologist and talking to him as a stranger was really really good for me I felt like I could talk to him a lot more openly than I could to someone that knew me mm. I don't know why that was but I just felt more comfortable but with talking to him I was able to talk to friends and family then a bit more openly about it and that got me right through it and now the same people I had talked to then sort of know the signs to look for if I ever sort of have a relapse type thing but I don't feel like that's ever going to happen again I mm. feel like I've got good people around me very very settled off the table and my snooker's in a good place so yeah everything's going well there That's good because snooker it's, you have to be very introspective and sort of inward looking to play it in a way don't you? you have to sort of get in that zone that they talk yeah. about and I think a lot of players maybe don't always get out of that when they're away from the table did you, did you sort of find that as well that you were sort of almost sort of trapped in your own mind in a way a little bit uh, yeah possibly possibly you, you do you have to be selfish in this game you're, you're playing for yourself at the end of the day but I think in the recent years in particular I've become more open you know, got, it sounds like silly things to say but it's things I wasn't doing just socialising mm. at tournaments now, I would never have sat with a, another player at dinner because I wanted to stay in my bubble mm. but just lent led itself to bad things and now I have quite all the time for dinner and a couple of drinks with like mm. Sean and Stevie Maguire and people like that, Tom Ford Just I've got good people around me now even in the snooker world uh, socialising is a massive thing for me now I feel like if I can do that and not isolate myself in mm. the room then I'm doing something right Good, and do you think, because as I say part of that 
initial World Open win, you were fine, I think, for things you said on Twitter. Do you think that what you were saying was part of what you've just described, that sort of isolation that you felt? Possibly. Reaction against it, maybe? Yeah, possibly, but a lot of what I said was true. Right. Uh, <laughs> people, some people don't like the truth, mm. and I still stand by what I said at the time. The, the place was disgusting. Mm. Uh, something that words never improved definitely on over the last lot of years. We're going to slightly better places. There's still one or two that aren't very good. Mm. But in general, the places that we go to now are better, better facilities, uh, just better food places, better accommodation, things like that. But at the time, like that was disgraceful where we were. And you know, I was just saying what a lot of players were already saying. Mm. And maybe not saying it in the correct way, but there was a lot of truth in what I said, and people just don't like it. Yeah, not, you, I think you're right, a lot of people would have felt the same, but not, not everyone says it. You don't mind saying it, do you? No, if you want to it's my life at the end yeah. of the day and I feel like I should be able to say these things obviously there's been some things in the past that I've said that not that I wish I didn't say them but I wish I'd said them better uh, I think perhaps the way I've said things over the years gets swept under the carpet because of how I say it and what I'm actually meaning within that gets lost uh, you know, it's been well documented about you know, the Chinese thing and you know, I'll get fined heavily for that but there is a lot of truth in what I say. Maybe the way I said it at the time was completely wrong, and I hold my hands up for that. But there is a lot of truth in it. You know, I'm not the only one that says it, and it's been you know, shown on TV and things, things like that. And it's something that could be clamped down on. It has improved a lot, but at the time, yeah, I was really, really frustrated, and I felt like these sort of things were—they were an added thing as to why I wasn't doing better, and they were costing me money for that. You know, Financial terms, things were, and these these things get to you. Mm. You know, like especially when you're on your own all the time, yeah. and you're constantly thinking over about this and that. And you know, probably, it's something you've had to learn, I guess, to yeah, maybe. Look, I think now trying to put pressure on yourself by getting. I'm involved still in that, quite maybe. vocal, yeah. but I think I've learned to be a bit more level-headed in the way I expre- mm. express things. Uh, it can get expensive but also like one tweet late at night does not reflect who you are as a person does it you know I mean we're sat here chatting nicely now you know it's not like you're just a a raging ball of fire all the time not at all no not at all (laughs) but look I'm an expressive person Mm. and I'm an emotional person but I think unfortunately for me and I can't change it some people are always going to tar me with that brush Mm. that you know I get called a racist all the time by certain people on social Mm. media and that's not who I am you know like I maybe made a bad comment or two, but that's not who I am at mm. all. I'm just an emotional person. I express my views on mm. things, and I wish I could change some things about the way I said it, but mm. it is me, and I'm, I'm not going to change. I think, well, deep down, I'll always know the ones that are close to me, my family, friends, you know, in my close circle. They always know who I am, and that's mm. all that will ever really matter to me. Mm. And you're also, I mean, this is not so much a question as just a kind of comment, really. You're incredibly sporting in the arena. I mean, you really are. And that's, is that just something you've always been from being a kid, or is that the respect you have for snooker? I think it's the way I've been brought up. Mm. No, it's, look, it's a sport. There's going to be a winner and loser in every day. Some defeats are a lot harder to take than others, but sometimes you have to appreciate good shots, good performances. Mm. And I think that's all part and parcel of the game. We're fortunate in snooker that that's been, you know, the trait over many many years mm. that snooker does go down that route but it's something that's being lost a little I think there's not enough of that mm. and people might say maybe me showing that I'm too nice out there that's not the case at all mm. like I want to kill my opponent <laughs> uh, when I'm playing but within that there's you know well documented about like the thing with Mark Joyce and yeah. things like that but even when I played him if he played a good shot at the table because mm. he played a good shot 
it's nothing to do with him as a person mm. so like I think that's something I'll always have what's the, what's the deal with, Mark, with you and Mark Joyce I just don't see eye to eye there's been a bit of history in the past from previous uh, did it start when you were kids or not really he, he seems to think that it, I don't like him because he beat me a few times as a junior if that was the case there would be a lot of people I would didn't like <laughs> but that's not the case at all I just don't particularly like him as a person I know there's 131 players now on tour you're not going to like every one of them and he happens to be one that I don't particularly like but look it is what it is and it's in the past now we move on we've actually spoken had a few drinks since and tried to put it behind us so hopefully that's the end of it ok um, you're 32 uh, next month February um, so you're still a young man but you've been a pro a long time actually now yeah. how do you sort of sum up your career at this point are you satisfied with what you achieved could you have done uh, more is... I definitely feel like I should have done more mm. by now um, very disappointed in where I am at the minute uh, with just three ranking events and won nine tournaments in total but it's not good enough for a thing for me but I don't mean that in any big headed way mm. I just feel like I've missed a few years where in my early 20s sort of mid mid 20s I was partying a bit too much and really enjoyed single life and mm-hmm. I was living on my own, so the house turned into a bit of a party house and didn't practice as much. And at the time, it didn't affect me on the table. It was very, very fortunate. Mm. But I think that had a knock-on effect that a few years down the line when I got my head right and I was practicing more, karma came back. Yeah. And I started to go bad. And I wasn't winning many matches. Always enough to stay in the 16, but never felt like I was ever threatening. Mm. And I think that was just me getting what I deserved for those mm. few years where... I abused it myself, I abused the game. Mm. Uh, I think that's sort of why I haven't won as much as I, ha- I should have. But there's a lot of players that would love to win nine tournaments. Sure. Uh, but for me personally, I want to go on and win a lot more. I, I sort of set myself a target of if I could finish my playing career and have as many tournament wins as years on tour, right. then I'd be reasonably happy. Mm. Now, to, for me to do that, I'd probably have to win a couple a season now to catch up mm. but I still feel that's well worth my grasp mm. you've not yet won a triple crown event that would be I guess a, an immediate ambition yeah it would but look it's, it's easy to say that and yeah. it's easy to say I want to win a Worlds I want yeah. to win a UK I want to win the Masters but it just doesn't work like that mm. no, I try my very very best in every tournament I play in whether it's Gibraltar Open for 18 grand a winner or the World Championships at mm. 425 you know the financial side of it isn't what's important to me although you need money to survive and mm. whatever but I want to win I want to win tournaments and I, I, I don't ever enter a tournament where I feel like I can't win mm. and uh, it just so happened up to this date that I haven't won one yet mm. but it doesn't mean that I've prepared badly mm. I've just maybe been outplayed in those tournaments and mm. I, all I can ever keep doing it's always something that sounds so boring to say but just keep working hard on the practice table which I feel like I really have done mm. and hopefully the, the results will turn and there's many, many players, myself included, that might look back in their career and never won one. Mm. But it doesn't mean that I haven't tried hard enough to win it. It's just maybe something that's not meant to be, but I still feel like I've got the game to win all three. Mm. Snooker, professional snooker in the circuit has changed quite dramatically in the time you've been professional. How do you sort of see it at the moment? How's the state of the game at the moment? It's funny because Barry Hearn made a statement whenever he first <coughs> took over that it's going to get to the stage where players complain and there's too much snooker. I'm nearly there. <laughs> uh, it's very, very hard. Obviously, me and my wife have just had another little girl. She's only five months. I hate being away from home. I hate missing her grow up. It's my massive regret to do with Lauren. No, I don't see Lauren really at all. And part of that has to do with Snipper and part of it's to do with me. I wasn't a good father. Uh, and I think 
I'd love to be able to spend more time at home. But the rewards now are so much greater. Uh, I think we've got 25 events on the calendar at the minute. You'll probably be able to tell me like close to 12 million in prize money or mm. something like that. It's certainly gone up massively, hasn't it? Oh, it's, it is. It's amazing what he's done in such a short space of time. But what I wonder is, within all that, is the quality dropping? Uh, I don't mean as a individual events because the quality is still good in any event but I mean as a whole can players be as consistent as they possibly want to be with so many events what Selby's done is astronomical to be number one for five or six years like in the current system that's unreal but in a way it's not because if you win the words you're going to be top two anyway Mm. uh, unless you fall apart the, the rest of the two years but in an ideal world I'd love it to get to the stage where there's maybe a few tournaments less but the money and the events that are left for us to play in mm. goes up a bit mm. uh, like those tournaments that we play in the, in the grand scheme of things aren't going to make any difference to my ranking mm. they're not going to change my life in any way mm. but you feel like if you don't play in it you're missing a step especially with that, where I am in the rankings at the minute I need to be winning a lot of matches it is a bit too much I think at the minute mm. the travelling is grueling uh, Barry will say no tough, tough <laughs> shit sort of thing, but mm. it is very, very hard and something I would love to change, yeah. Mm. You've had a couple of run-ins with Barry Hearn. What, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What, what would you give him out of 10 for what he's done while he's been chairman? 10. Okay. Uh, I don't think anyone could have done what Barry done. Mm. Uh, it's funny because the run-ins we've had, Barry's the first to ring me mm. and he's laughing and joking. Oh, he loves it, he? he loves publicity. Like the big thing, <laughs> the, the fall at the UK Championships mm. when I said that he, no, but shortening the format and blah blah mm. blah. He actually rang me the next day. He'd probably deny all knowledge of this, <laughs> like, but he rang me the next day to say, "Mark, please say more, because I love this." Yeah. And I said to him, "Barry, if you pay my fines, I'll say I'll say whatever you want me to say." <laughs> and he says, "Well, I wouldn't go that far." <laughs> he says, "But I love what you're doing." He says, "Any publicity is great." And he mm. says, "Anything I ever say about you in the press," he says, "It's not meant in any harm. It's just to mm. get headlines." And that is Barry. He's mm. all about headlines and getting people talking about the sport. Mm. And look, I run a charity event every year. Barry Hearn's the first person I ring because I know that he's mm. going to be the first person to want to support it. Mm. So, like these run-ins that people talk about, yes, we had words, mm. but they're never really run-ins that we're going to fall out over. He's actually a really nice guy to talk to. Mm. He's someone that, if you spoke to him long enough, he'd convince you that the blue sky was black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's a great guy to be around. Lots mm. of fun, and what he's done in snookers just ridiculously mm. good. Okay, and finally, away from snooker. I mean, you say you've got a young family. I'm sure that takes up a lot of time. What, what are your other sort of hobbies? I know you like a bit of golf, don't you? Honestly, at the minute, I've played very, very little golf. Mm. I've just been so busy. The calendar's been so busy. Uh, this this year, or last year, sorry, now that we're in the 18, but it's the least I've played golf ever, really, uh, since I was about 17, 18. And it's just, because of the calendar so busy, you, you don't feel like you're getting a big gap. Within that big gap. I wanted to change queues after the World Championship, so I didn't take really any break after the Worlds. Mm. I got my new queue a few weeks later, and then straight back at it to make sure I had plenty of hours with that queue. In general, like I'd like to take a big break in the summer, but because of what happened with the queue, I, I couldn't do that this year. So, like, socialise with friends and have a few drinks and mm. stuff over the, over the summer when it is a bit quieter. But in general, it's just lots of time at home and lots of practice. It mm. sounds very very boring, but. <laughs> It had, it had to be done with a new queue and mm. it's something that might have to be done again this year because I'm still not happy with my queue that I've got but mm. I might, have, might change again in the summer but yeah it's 
it'll lend itself to just more and more play. Mm. And finally, finally, um, you're glad, are you, that you discovered snooker at a young age? It's given you this this life you've got. Absolutely. Look, I, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I can play the game that I love for a living. Am I a bit envious of some other sports? Like people in my position in other sports would be financially secure. You know, their kids would be financially secure. Their kids would probably be financially hmm. secure. And people will think I'm being, you know, awkward saying this, but it's not all about the money. But it is in in the long term. You no, know, like I look back at the game and I'll be happy with what I've done or disappointed with what I've not done. But what will make me happiest is knowing my family is secure. Sure. And at the minute, I'm nowhere near there. So, yeah, there's still lots of work to do. OK, Mark, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers, Mark. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.